Please turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 21. Looking this morning at Leviticus chapter 21, and our New Testament passage is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. So with your Bibles open to Leviticus chapter 21, in honor of God's word, please stand. Leviticus chapter 21, beginning in verse 1, hear God's word. And the Lord said to Moses, speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, no one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people except for his closest relatives, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, or his virgin sister who is near to him because she has no husband, for he may make himself unclean, for her he may make himself unclean. He shall not make himself unclean as a husband among his people, and so profane himself. They shall not make bald patches on their heads, nor shave off the edges of their beards, nor make any cuts on their body. They shall be holy to their God, and not profane the name of their God. For they offer the Lord's food offerings, the bread of their God, therefore they shall be holy. They shall not marry a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled, neither shall they marry a woman divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. You shall sanctify him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord who sanctify you, am holy. And the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by whoring, profanes her father. She shall be burned with fire. The priest who is chief among his brothers, on whose head the anointing oil is poured, and who has been consecrated to wear the garments, shall not let the hair of his head hang loose, nor tear his clothes. He shall not go into any dead bodies, not... Make nor make himself unclean, even for his father or for his mother. He shall not go out of the sanctuary, lest he profane the sanctuary of his God, for the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is on him. I am the Lord. And he shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow or a divorced woman or a woman who has been defiled or a prostitute, these he shall not marry. But he shall take as his wife a virgin of his own people, that he may not profane his offspring among his people. For I am the Lord who sanctifies him. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, None of your offspring throughout their generations who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God. For no one who has a blemish shall draw near a man blind or lame, nor one who has a mutilated face or a limb too long, or a man who has an injured foot or an injured hand or a hunchback or a dwarf or a man with a defect in his sight or an itching disease or scabs or crushed testicles. No man of the offspring of Aaron the priest who has a blemish shall come near to offer the Lord's food offerings. Since he has a blemish, he shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He may eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy things, but he shall not go through the veil or approach the altar because he has a blemish, that he may not profane my sanctuaries, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So Moses spoke to Aaron and to his sons and to all the people of Israel. As far as the reading of God's word, please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, and continuing in the reading of God's word. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, 
able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. As far in the reading of God's word, let us pray. Father, as we have read, we come to the preaching and to the hearing of your word, and we pray that you would show us our Savior, show us the way of life in which we may walk, and show us the joy of your heavenly home. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. So as I was working on this passage this week, I I thought to myself, you know, there's something I experience on a pretty regular basis that I bet you don't. And that is ordination sermons. (laughs) Whenever a young man is being ordained to the gospel ministry, a group of pastors from the presbytery come around and we have an ordination service. And in that service... There is a charge, a a command, a duty that is preached to the congregation. There is a charge that is preached to the man who is being ordained. I've participated in this, obviously being ordained, but also as a minister now for over 20 years. I've participated in many of these ordination services and heard many charges given charges myself to young men as they're entering into ministry. But I'm guessing that you may have only heard one or two at the most in your lifetime, if you've heard one or two. And I think part of the reason for that is it's awfully awkward for me to preach this. (laughs) This is a charge to pastors. This is a charge to priests. It's a a picture of the holiness that is expected from the man who would represent God before his people. And as I look at these various components of this picture, as I look at them in my study, as I look at them in my contemplation, as I look at them in self-reflection, it becomes a passage that I would rather not be held up in comparison to. I really would prefer not to be held up with this as the standard. And yet, I am. And so I want to show you this morning how it is not only that we see this charge to the priest, this charge to the one who would articulate the things of God to God's people, but also the way in which you are part of this charge, the way in which you are called to live in light 
of this portrait that's given to us here. Now, there's three elements to this portrait. There's three elements to the priest that is given here in chapter 21. The first you see in verses 1 through 9. And that is the priest in his home life. The priest in his home life. And then you see second, in verses 10 through 18, a focus on the high priest. The high priest. And then, finally, in verses 19 through 24, the priest in terms of his health. Now, just hang on, we'll get there. <laughs> but as you, as you read through that, I mean, the, the, these are all health things. You can't come if you're deformed in any way. You can't come if you've got an itch. You can't come in all these, all these other reasons physically that you should not, as a priest, come before the Lord. And so we'll see the priest in his home, the high priest, and then the priest in relationship to his health. Now, this is the secret. This is the secret to the Christian life. This is the secret to any struggle that you personally have regarding how do I live my life in light of God's Word? Here it is. Don't hear anything else? Hear this. There are four concentric circles that we have in our lives. The first is you and God. That's, that's the core. That's, that's right where it starts. That's right where it ends. You are born with your two feet. You will die with your two feet. And you will stand before God's throne of judgment on your two spiritual feet. It is you and God. The second is, in a young man, a young woman's natural course of life, the general tendency is, you reach a certain stage, where you're thinking, I would like to covenant with another human being. I'd like to bring another person. I'd like to bring my life alongside. It is not good for a man to be alone, and I would like to come alongside another one. Normal course. There are exceptions, obviously. The third circle, you've got the individual, you've got a marriage, and then you add children. Uh, a healthy husband-wife relationship naturally flourishes into family. It's a, it's a natural offspring of this loving communion between a man and a woman. And then your fourth circle, your fourth circle is outside. Those, those engagements in your neighborhood, those engagements in your workplace, those engagements in society, the grocery store, whatever. Those things that are outside my walk with God, me and my wife's walk with God, my household's walk with God. Now, here's why I said this is the key. This is the secret. Alright? Here's the secret. Every time, well, not every time, the vast majority, 
of the time that we see someone jacking it up. We see someone messing it up. The vast majority of the time, it's because something is wrong in this circle. And so I think maybe I could fix it in this one. I'm miserable where I am. I I don't like being single. I don't like where God has me. I don't like this this loneliness. I don't like this sense of, of not being whatever, respected or whatever. So I'm going to get married. That'll fix my problem, right? And anybody who's married (laughs) can tell you, no. (laughs) That is not the cure. (laughs) You're just bringing two messed up people into a messed up thing. But then you've got a really jacked up marriage. You've got a messed up marriage. You got two people that are struggling and like, you know, how do we even talk to each other? And so what's the solution? Maybe children would make us better. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? What happens when you've got two grown people that can't get along with each other and you add children to it? You've got chaos multiply, cubed, exponentially increased. And then when you've got a problem in your household, when you're discontent, when I'm, I'm not right with God, I'm not right in my relationship with my wife, I'm not right in my relationship with my children, then I'm going to take all of that discontent and I'm going to take it into my public arena. I'm going to be toxic and discontent outwardly in the way that I engage with other people. And in fact, it reflects the problem here. I was having a conversation fairly recently at which I was listening to the recount of someone, not in this congregation, who had charges Complaints, concerns about this, 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 and this. And I said, you know what? There seems to be a common denominator. It's not that this is wrong and that's wrong and this is wrong and that's wrong. It's that this one person (laughs) keeps saying this is wrong and that's wrong. The common denominator is the person. I say all this to drive home this point. If you're going to say, what is the most important thing for the priest? What is the most important thing to conserve the godliness of the priesthood? What is the most important thing that you can find in a pastor? That you can find in a representative of God? I think just objectively, I mean... Pulpit search committees and churches, congregations around the globe and all through time might say the man's oratoric ability, the man's level of education, the man's ability to engage with this type or that type 
the man's winsomeness, the man's reputation as a scholar or doctor or whatever. What God is concerned about here is the priest in his home, the priest as he uniquely represents Jesus Christ, the high priest, and the priest unblemished. That's what God is most concerned about. Nothing about oratory, nothing about any of these other things that we would look to. So let's look at the image that God calls us to. In verse 4 of chapter 21, he shall not make himself unclean as a husband among his people and so profane himself. Now that word there is a tricky word. It's a difficult word. It's a, it's a difficult word because in some places it's translated husband and other places it's translated owner. If you've got a King James or a new King James, it will say chief among his people. There, there's a, it's, a, it's a difficult word, and part of the difficulty for this, uh, for those who, uh, you know, well, just look up the Hebrew. Uh, well, the Hebrew is written over a longer ge- uh, uh, chronography. It's written over a longer period of time. There's more years between Leviticus and Malachi. There's more years of the development of the language between Leviticus and Malachi than there are between Shakespeare and today. So a word that Shakespeare uses, like terrific, has a completely different meaning today. Something that is terrific is terrifying. It's, 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 it's momentous. It's, it, it, there's a shock to it. Something that's terrific today is, hey, today's your birthday. Terrific. (laughs) Words change, and they do in Hebrew as well. But I think it is a common theme that that kind of pull all this stuff together to think of Denethor, steward of Gondor. Denethor is an important figure. He's He's an important person. He is supposed to rule in the stead of the true king. And he's supposed to keep Gondor while we're waiting for the true king to come along and all those things. But when he oversteps, when he starts thinking he is the king, is when it all gets haywire, isn't it? And that's what God's priest is here, a steward. A steward among the people. Some ways a husband, in some ways a chief, but a steward among the people. Representing God as his steward is going to govern both the behavior of this individual and it's going to govern his heart. It's going to govern his children's actions. You saw that at the, at the very last verse there, verse 9. It's going to cover his children's actions. It's also going to cover the most personal and intimate griefs that he has. The grief of a close relative. The one who would would mourn over a close relative. But throughout what unites all of this, this picture 
of the man in his home. The man who is given over to God and is given to God's ministry. What you see here is an integrity. An integrity. A unity of his heart and of his mind. And beloved, that issue of integrity, that issue of are you the same person sitting in your room by yourself as you are when you are in the public congregation, that issue of integrity is what brings this picture of verses 1 through 9 into one whole. The greatest danger, I've been a minister for over 20 years now, the greatest danger in the gospel ministry is ironic because it's isolation. There's nothing more public. If if you've been here for any length of time, you've been in my home. As I, as I look out here at the congregation, I think everybody here has been in my house. <laughs> if you haven't, I know you've been invited. <laughs> uh, and at the same time, at the same time, it's very easy to kind of pull back and to say, well, this is the home that you get to see, but this is the home that I don't want anybody looking at. This is, this is the public face. This is the private face that I will keep locked up tight and that I will not let anybody see because it is evil and wicked. And beloved, that distance between who we are as a person and who we are as a persona, that distance as it grows and grows and grows gets nasty, ugly, and toxic. And every single instance that I personally am aware of, every single instance that I personally am aware of, of a brother who has blown up his ministry, has always been at that core level. He started having a secret life. Secret from his wife, secret from his congregation. He started saying, well, this little thing is just something that's just me and, and I'm, I'm not going to bring this into my relationship and my family and my house, blah, 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 blah. This little thing is just my little thing. And that gap, the larger it grows, the greater the sin the greater the catastrophe. And so, first point of application would be simply that. What's the gap? What's the gap in your life between your heart and your hand? What is the gap in your inner life between your private life and your public words and actions? And beloved, the priest, is called to be holy throughout. The second thing we see 
here in this passage is this image of the high priest. It's the first time this word is used. First time that we see a high priest. And so the the point of, of this is that it is drawing our attention to the high priest as a as a unique individual. It's a it's a tightening. It's a tightening of the regulation. You can see that the priest is allowed to mourn for a wide range of family deaths. But the high priest, even if his father and mother dies, the high priest is not allowed to mourn. Now again, here's another little insight. And that is, it's so easy for you and me to think well, there's levels of Christians, right? It looks like Moses is giving us some levels right here, doesn't it? You got holy, and then you got holy, holy. <laughs> you, you got the priests who are holy, but then you got the high priest who's particularly holy. Do we ever think that way about Christians? Do we ever think that way about, well, okay, you're called to be holy, but if you're really holy, you need to do this. You need to commit yourself to the... In, in Protestant circles, I think probably the call to ministry is, is sometimes one of the, the things. If I really, really, really love Jesus, if I love Jesus with all my heart, soul, and strength, it must mean I'm called to ministry, right? It, because those are the really, really, really love Jesus people. This, beloved, is not climbing a mountain of holiness. The high priest is not more holy than the other priests. It's not climbing a mountain. It's drawing to a center. And there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference because the more you draw yourself to Christ, the more this holiness, the more this Christ-likeness is going to naturally be reflected. But the more you add things to do, the more you add to your list in order to be holy, the less holy you become. The more you become one of those obnoxious people that's pointing out all the flaws in everybody else. Holiness is not about climbing a mountain. Holiness is about drawing to a person. Elder Robley mentioned in the Sunday school today that one of the things apparently I've said numerous times, I didn't know it, but is I do not preach an ethic I preach a person. And beloved, that is all the difference in the world. That is all the difference in the world. Christianity is not do these extra things to be holy. Christianity is Christ. Jesus Christ. 
the perfect Lamb of God, the one who is the perfect priest. Do you know why God is so concerned that the priest, and particularly the high priest, not take somebody who is widowed, who has had any relationship with anyone else before, in any way, positively or negatively? Do you know why it's so important? Because what the high priest says is what Jesus Christ says. And if the high priest says that my bride is spotless, then Jesus Christ is saying, my bride is spotless. If the high priest says, I am given to this bride, and this bride is given to me, then it is a reflection of what God is saying in Christ Jesus. That Jesus Christ does not say, well, I'll love you today and I won't love you tomorrow. But Jesus Christ says, you are my bride. And as spotted as you may feel, as spotted as you may look to yourself and even to others, I have declared you spotless. The high priest in every aspect is demonstrating Christ Jesus. And so we're drawing closer to that perfect Adam. This is the image of what Adam and Eve should have been in the garden. Perfect priest, perfect love for Eve, perfect relationship with one another. Now, of course, all of that is broken. But, beloved, do you see it restored here? Do you see God restoring it in the priesthood? The high priest as he pictures Christ. His love for the bride. His commitment to the church. And the high priest is a man living this out in all of his challenges. And then thirdly and finally, the last section, verses 16 down to 24, is the health. This... This description of all the things that the high or that the priest is not to bring before God, all of these deformities, all of these things wrong with himself, that he's not to bring before God, is a picture of a man coming in full integrity, healthy and whole, whole in his family, whole in his in his relationship within his household, and whole in his body. The ground, both Old and New Testament, is exactly the same. Did you hear Paul saying that the one who would desire to seek ministry, the one who would be a bishop, is to be this man of integrity, this man of wholeness? It, the, the ground of both Old and New Testament pictures, Leviticus 21 and 1 Timothy 3, the ground is exactly the same, and that is that in the office, we are saying, this is who Jesus is. Jesus is not lame. He is not maimed. He is not blind. He does not have an itch. (laughs) All the gross things there that the priests aren't to come before God with is because Jesus Christ is the perfect one. 
And if we are going to represent him, we represent him in perfection. Now, of course, these are Old Testament pictures. This is not saying that God has something against you if you've got lice. Uh, These are Old Testament pictures, but they're important pictures. They're important pictures because they tell us something about who God is. The husband of one bride. Without sin in any way. I mentioned over 20 years that increasing gap. That increasing gap between my public and my private. And beloved, that's true of all of us. That's true of all of us. If if you think that is not true of yourself, then I invite you, not right now, we can do it after the service if you'd like, but I invite you to come up and stand here, I'll turn the microphone on for you, and I invite you to tell me every single one of your sinful inner thoughts of this past week. Every one of them. Or just hit, give me the highlights. Give me the top six. The top six truly nasty things that you are ashamed of this week. Think you can name six? I know I can. I absolutely know I can name six. I could go on and on, I'm sure. Beloved, this is the problem of a distance when those deeds that are private become public knowledge, we're humiliated, we're ashamed, we run and flee. But the solution is not just clamp down. The solution, interestingly, here in Leviticus 21, the solution in 1 Timothy chapter 3, And the solution in this entire area. God's law shows us what holiness is. God's law shows us that we are not holy. And God's law drives us to Jesus Christ, the Holy One. Now, the irony of this, and then I'm thinking also of 1 Timothy 3, and the, the, this high calling that's placed upon the one who would stand in God's stead, the one who would represent God to the people, represent the people to God. The irony is, as with my opening thing of the four circles, the four concentric circles, you can't wait till you're perfect here before you go there. Circle number one, if you wait until you can honestly before God say, I am at peace completely with who I am, with who God is, there is zero angst in my life at all. You'll be 102 before you start dating. And simultaneously, if you say, me and my wife have to have this close relationship where we are no no qualms, no, no distance between us at all, no challenge, in it, and then we're ready to bring children. You'll be 108 before you have children. In every area of this, there's a constant, eh, not yet. <laughs> 
but striving. Eh, this is who I should be, but I'm not yet. The challenge, the struggle between the, the, the already and the not yet. What God has declared you to be. What you are living out. At least having before you the law of God and seeing the way in which you fall short of it drives us to see what it is that we're truly called to be. What it is that we're truly called to do. I open the entire thing by saying, have you ever told somebody you'd pray for them? I imagine you have. If you're a Christian, been a Christian for any length of time, you've said, I'll pray for you. Or I'll pray about that. How often is, I'll pray about that, or I'll pray for you, a Christian way of saying, okay, I'm done now, can we talk about something else? Versus how often is it a commitment written down on your to-do list? I said I would pray for that. Whenever you and I pray, brothers and sisters, you and I are saying, I will be a priest for you. I will come before God for you. And so when we do that, see that this is who we are. Leviticus 21 is overlapping the Christian calling. One of the things I've said to men in the the congregation for many years is all those exemplars in in 1 Timothy. This is what the bishop should be. This is what the deacon should be. All of these are general qualifications. All men should aspire to these, but the ones who are called to office are exemplary in these things. And in the same way here, every Christian, every Christian in your home, every Christian in the way that you speak, in what you commit to, in prayer, all of these things are reflective of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so, beloved, first I would say, do you see the gap? Because if you don't see the gap, this all goes really gross. This old priesthood and authority and ritual and outward. If you don't see the gap between your personal piety and your public piety, if you don't see that gap, you're in danger. That's the danger zone. The wider that gap grows, the more certain the doom will come upon you your family, your vocation, your ministry, whatever. But beloved, when that gap is short, when we keep short accounts with God, when we come every Lord's Day for the reading of the law, the confession of sin and the assurance of pardon, when we examine our hearts, when we do the digging, the toil 
the plucking up of the weeds. See to it that no root of bitterness springs up. When we do that work ourselves, quietly sitting in our chairs, we don't have to get up here and proclaim everything before everybody else. Because Jesus Christ is doing it in us. Transforming us unto His image. These are given to you as helps. They're not given to you as Mount Sinai looming over, threatening to crush you if you you disobey in any way. They're given to you as helps. Helps to show you what holiness is. What integrity is. Who Jesus is. And who the representative of Christ is called to be. That representative is, in particular, in office, but it is the priesthood of the believer is a very biblical doctrine. The fact of the matter is, anyone who would name the name of Jesus Christ says by their proclamation, look at me, look at what I believe, look at what I say, look at what I do, look at what's important to me, and you will see Jesus. Yikes. Look at what is important to me, and you will see what is important to Jesus. That's a scary, scary thing. But beloved, that's what the table is. The table brings us again and again and again to what's important to Jesus and what's important to you and me. Father, even as these sacraments are sweet upon our lips, may our lives be sweet in the ears and in the sight of a world that is so desperately needing to know love and grace and holiness and forgiveness. Help us to live it in our homes, to live it in our own hearts and lives, and to live it in a watching, before a watching world. In Christ's name, amen.